is here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. lives, you want to know where Bin Laden is, come back to Afghanistan with me. Come back to the area where my helicopter was forced down with a three-star general and three United States senators at 10,500 feet in the middle of those mountains. I can tell you where they are. Can you tell us where your interpreter is? Can you tell us where the man is who saved your life, who saved John Kerry's life, who saved Chuck Hagel's life? In the life of that three-star general? You like to create the impression that you're some kind of tough guy. That you're some kind of warrior. You're a coward. You're a coward, Biden. And you got people killed. Thirteen American heroes. Scores and scores of Afghans. And now, thousands if not tens of thousands of Afghans. You don't ever have to have been to Afghanistan to understand what's taking place, ladies and gentlemen. They call it genocide. And there's a lot of genocide going on in this world. In China, with the Uyghurs, throughout Africa, now in Afghanistan, in Iran, North Korea, Too many places to mention. But when we had our forces, 2,500 or so, just a month or so ago, stationed in Afghanistan with air backup and CIA intel, there wasn't genocide going on in Afghanistan. We had prevented it. Now, I've talked about this from a lot of angles because there's a lot of degrees and levels of, of horror that, that have resulted from what's taken place here. When you watch those old black and white movies about the Third Reich 
and the mass slaughter that takes place. It's horrendous. And when you realize that the vast majority of the American media covered it up, and much of it at the request of the Franklin Roosevelt administration, you'd think it's shocking. This genocide that's going on now in Afghanistan, beyond our cameras, was not only preventable, it was prevented. And nobody wants to talk about it. The 20-year war is over. Let me tell you a little secret. The 20-year war was over, quote-unquote, a long time ago, several years ago. Barack Obama was not nation-building. Donald Trump was not nation-building. That's the last 12 years out of those 20 years. The person, the president, who was nation-building was George W. Bush. He was trying to figure out a way to prevent another attack on the homeland. Whether it be in the Middle East, whether it be in Afghanistan. I don't condemn him for that. He saw the Marshall Plan after World War II that worked. It worked with Italy, it worked with Japan, it worked with Germany and other countries. Where democracy was in fact imposed, where constitutions were in fact imposed, and it worked. But of course we now know, or think we know, that in certain societies, such as they are, they don't work. And they never will. But eight years of Obama and four years of Trump, they were not nation-building. In 2014, seven years ago, Obama pulled out our combat forces, for the most part. President Trump pulled out virtually all that was left, but he retained the ability to attack and destroy the enemy should the, atten- should the enemy go on the offense. That's what he did. Despite the best efforts of the Biden administration and the other propagandists to try and twist what Trump did, that's what he did. Trump left Afghanistan, believe it or not, more neutralized than any time in the past 20 years. People weren't talking about Afghanistan as a threat to our homeland. They weren't talking about Afghanistan as an opportunity for China and Russia and Pakistan. 2,500 non-combat troops. The Bagrain Airport and CIA intel did the trick. And what Biden has unleashed, what his generals have unleashed, his Secretary of State, National Security Advisor, and the rest, is genocide. The media talk about 100 American citizens over there. They don't have the foggiest idea how many American citizens are in Afghanistan, and neither does our government. Then they start talking about dual citizens as if they're not human beings, as if they're not citizens. The effort to dehumanize now 
is on the way. The censorship that we saw from the media during the course of World War II is going to be in place. There will be no serious investigation of what took place while the Democrats control Congress and their media won't give a damn. Their media won't give a damn. Because the goal is to advance the agenda that Pelosi and the rest of them seek to promote. They see a small window of opportunity before the midterm elections and they intend to push. Genocide. Does that bother anybody? More reports coming in? How the Taliban are tracking down those who supported us? By some accounts, there's 80,000 human beings in Afghanistan who supported us, who received special visas, who didn't get out and couldn't get out. They didn't want to stay. They wanted to get the hell out of there. They knew their fate. It's all a lie when our government tells you that these are people who, who couldn't decide whether to leave. They were on cell phones, texting, calling. They were on email. Anybody who would listen to them begging for their lives. Begging. Does that sound like a successful evacuation? We now know that Joe Biden knew long before at least July 23rd and probably before that the Afghan army could not withstand what was taking place and certainly would not without our air power and he pulled our military out first anyway and in that July 23rd phone call that we talked about last night Joe Biden makes it clear that he knows what's going on but he wants the Afghan president to lie because he was lying To lie to the American people about matters of life and death. To lie to the American people about matters of war. And he kind of dangled support. On whether or not he would provide support. Of course, Joe Biden should be impeached. But the Democrats control the House. I read somewhere that somebody at National Review says this is not an impeachable offense. Well, that somebody at National Review is not a constitutional scholar. He hasn't spent his life litigating constitutional, drawing up constitutional briefs. Just because he writes doesn't make him a scholar. And of course, he's dead wrong on this. Of course, it's laid out properly. It's an impeachable offense. The fact that others have not been impeached when lying during the course of war is an irrelevant precedent. Absolutely irrelevant. And so we have uh, not just left American citizens overseas. The New York Times says we have no idea how many green card holders there are, and they're right. We've now dehumanized everybody. Oh, dual citizens. Oh, okay. We've done everything we can. We were just swell and fabulous. Oh, okay. It's time to move on to human infrastructure. What an irony. Human infrastructure. 
and women's rights and equity. What an irony. I can only imagine what's happening to the women in Afghanistan, to the little girls. I can only imagine people being dragged out of their homes, pushed up against fences and walls and executed on the site for the family to see. People being tortured and slaughtered, scared to death hiding in their houses, as Anne Frank did for years. This is why I call them Islamo-Nazis. No, no, no. I'm not calling Muslims Nazis. I'm calling these people Islamo-Nazis, the jihadis. To awaken people to what's taking place. Joe Biden, Blinken, Sullivan, Austin. These are very cold people. Very cold people who have ice water in their veins. If you don't speak out at a time like this, when you're part of the decision-making group, sitting around a round table in the Situation Room, then you're obviously part of it. They've sealed the fate of these people, and they go out and they say things. Like, we'll work with the Taliban against ISIS, We may provide them with money to feed their people as they go around slaughtering people. At least FDR knew who the enemy was. At least he knew who the enemy was. At least the Democrat Party knew who the enemy was. And today Joe Biden and the Democrat Party think The Republicans are the enemy. Donald Trump's the enemy. Ron DeSantis is the enemy. The white majority is the enemy. And they are destroying this country from within. If our enemies are smart, they'll just sit back and watch. As our borders remain open to this day, as we financially bankrupt ourselves, as we attack the greatest economic system on the face of the earth, as we destroy the fuel for the engine of that system, fossil fuels, they'll just sit back and watch. As we help the Iranians arm up with nuclear weapons, as we watch now, helplessly, as North Korea starts up again its nuclear reactor, the purpose of which is to build nukes, They'll just sit back and watch if they're smart. Because they know Joe Biden not only doesn't have the brains, he doesn't have the stomach to confront them. And he's out to make a legacy for himself. Meanwhile, inflation rages. Material is hard to come by. They can't finish in this country producing automobiles and other vehicles washing machines. There's food shortages. Did you ever think you'd see this in the United States of America? Of course, it's somebody else's fault. It's the fault of the pandemic. And we have less liberty today than we had three, four, five years ago because of the virus. Everybody's getting used to following orders or they're being punished if they step out. I'll be right back. (laughs) 
Mark Lovin. In today's digital age, where cyber threats loom larger than ever, safeguarding your personal information is paramount. So why is Congress considering a law that could put your credit card data at greater risk of being hacked and exposed to foreign networks? This Durbin Marshall credit card bill could jeopardize your financial data, make it more susceptible to cyber intrusions. It's a controversial bill that proposes a shift in billions of dollars worth of consumer transactions to payment networks that lack the robust security measures consumers rely on. Who could possibly want that? Well, the answer, woke corporate megastores seeking to inflate their multi-billion dollar profit margins. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill will undermine our safe and convenient payment systems and endanger your data security. It's time to take a stand. Visit electronicpaymentscoalition.org. Make your voice heard. Tell your senators to oppose the radical Durbin Marshall credit card bill paid for by the Electronic Payments Coalition. We celebrate the greatest generation for many reasons, but perhaps above all else, it was a generation that sacrificed everything to defeat Hitler, Tojo, Mussolini, to save the country. And even though we were attacked at Hawaii, they were prepared to go to anywhere on the face of the earth to defeat the enemy. And when our generals and soldiers saw what was going on in the Nazi concentration camps and so forth near the end of the war, they were appalled. They were disgusted. Eisenhower brought the generals over, Bradley, Patton, others, to see for themselves. How many Anne Franks now are over in Afghanistan? Hiding in their attics, hiding anywhere, so they're not slaughtered, they're not raped, they're not disfigured, they're not married off to some barbarian. How many Anne Franks, and how many people give a damn in this country? How many people give a damn in the Democrat Party under Nancy Pelosi and Biden? Mark Levin, the research arm of conservative media. Call in now, 877-381-3811. You notice how many people in the Democrat Party and much of the media are conflicted. They don't know whether to condemn what's taken place or to sit silently or even worse, to support Biden. They're trying to decide. Most of them are of the Praetorian Guard movement and will defend Biden. And notice Nancy Pelosi has said not a word about the genocide that is going to take place and is taking place now in Afghanistan. Not a word. Chuck Schumer, not a word. Have we ever had a vice president like this? Out of sight, out of mind? I'm quite serious. Have you ever seen anything like this in your life? Victorian Newland is the Undersecretary of State at the State Department, and she was asked today by Matt Lee, a 
senior reporter at the Associated Press. What's the plan to help the people who were abandoned in Afghanistan? Cut five, go. People's confidence in the United States has been shaken, perhaps irrevocably, by the fact that they were being told as recently as over the weekend uh, that you knew where they were and that they weren't going to be stranded, and yet they were. So what precisely are you telling them other than we're doing everything that we can to try to get you out, even though it's clear that you don't have a way to do it yet? Well, the messages are being tailored depending upon who they are and where they are. Um, I'm not going to get into the specifics of that, but the first thing we have to do is ensure that we can get air routes and land routes secured, and that's what we're working on. But what we mostly need to understand is is to continue to evaluate who is where, uh, who they have with them, so that we can, uh, on a case-by-case basis, do what we can to to tailor uh, evacuation routes for them. Uh, Excuse me. People are being slaughtered as we speak. This is something you should have thought about a month ago. This is something you should have thought about at least on July 23rd when Joe Biden reveals in a phone call to the president of Afghanistan that he's well aware that country's collapsing. Unbelievable. Even though he knew the country was collapsing. And he takes no responsibility for any of this. None. He's a psychopath. He's delusional. And there comes his Svengali, Ron Klain, on a friendly network, MSNBC, which apparently doesn't care about genocide either. Cut four, go. It's easy to second guess, but let's just be clear. Okay, so you see, ladies and gentlemen, we, the American people, we're just observers. Don't second guess. Don't raise concerns. Even though many of you have your sons and daughters over there, or many of you know people who are over there, or many of you have served over there, hundreds of thousands, you're in no position to second guess. Now, remember they said, let's hold off on the recriminations until later. Now it's second guessing. So... In real time, you're not allowed to say anything. Not now. We're busy. And afterwards, you're not allowed to say anything because you're politicizing it. You're second-guessing. So just shut up, and let's move on to trillions of dollars of new spending, destroying our constitutional republic, millions on amnesty. Just get with the program. Start at the top, please. Cut for it. Go. It's easy to second guess, but let's just be clear. America was in this war for 20 years. No, we weren't in this war for 20 years. What you inherited was essentially a neutralized country. A neutralized country. That's what you inherited. Just like you inherited three vaccines and therapeutics. Just like you inherited a relatively secure border. Just like you inherited an economy that was coming back. So let's be clear, pal, dummy. We were not in a hot war for 20 years. Certainly not for, the most, for most of uh, President Trump's administration. So let's be clear, dummy, in what you actually did face when you came into the Oval Office. Go ahead. 
And I think any effort to unwind that, any effort to bring our troops out, any effort to end our military presence yes. in Afghanistan was going to be filled with uh, heartbreaking scenes and difficulties. And I this think- is the dehumanization of what took place. Hey, look, look, there's nothing we can do. This would have happened everywhere. Everybody would have pulled the military out before the citizens. Everybody would have waited to the last minute, even knowing that the Taliban were taking over the country militarily. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, this would never have changed. This is the way it is. We had no choice. These people don't learn. And they don't want to learn. They're stupid to the end. It's costing people their lives as I speak. Go ahead. Uh, the Biden administration has managed that as well as it could be managed under the no, circumstances. No, the Biden administration didn't manage it as well as it could be managed under the circumstances. The Biden administration created the circumstances. It created an impossible military circumstance. It created impossible evacuation. Oh, we got out 120-some thousand. People are being slaughtered. You didn't get out all the Americans. Then you start blaming the Americans. Then you start calling them dual citizens. This is managed as well as it could be under the circumstances. That is a lie. It is a flat-out lie. And then there's the Secretary of Defense. The man who oversaw the withdrawal from Iraq and the rise of the ISIS caliphate and all the hell and evil associated with that. Cut six, go. Now, we have just concluded the largest air evacuation of civilians in American history. It was heroic. It was historic. And I hope that all Americans will unite to thank our service members for their courage and their compassion. See, this is, this is the game they play. Are there any Americans condemning our service members for their heroic activity over there? Not one that I'm aware of. Maybe the squad, the cabal of Marxists. Maybe Pelosi will call them stormtroopers like she did our cops. Who knows? But regular patriotic Americans aren't criticizing our troops. They're criticizing you, you jerk. So don't hide behind the privates. Don't hide behind the privates. And the sergeants and the corporals. And the lieutenant colonels and the colonels. You're the secretary of defense. This isn't about the greatest evacuation in human history. It's about the fact that we had to have the greatest evacuation in human history and the way it was done. And you're raising the flag and you're, you're patting yourselves on the back. And you're using our troops as fodder in your PR war. Go ahead. They were operating in an immensely dangerous and dynamic environment. You created that environment. You created it. You created Fort Cabal Airport. 
Fort Apache. You created it. You took the air power away from Bahrain. You took the intelligence away from the CIA. You did it. And if you had rejected it and opposed it, you have a funny way of showing it. Even now, you're celebrating it. It is grotesque. Absolutely grotesque. Go ahead. But our troops were tireless, fearless, and selfless. Our commanders never flinched. And our allies and partners were extraordinary. The United States evacuated... Ken said a damn thing about himself, the head of the Joint Chiefs, Milley, the Commander-in-Chief, the Secretary of State, and the National Security Advisor. Nothing. Go ahead. ...citizens and a total of more than 124,000 civilians. And we did it all in the midst of a pandemic and in the face of grave and growing threats. I don't know what the pandemic has to do with anything. Well, that's not true, Mr. Producer. I've been calling Joe Biden a one-man pandemic, haven't I? That's true. They had to do it in the face of that pandemic, Biden. This guy is applauding himself. Now, he's using the troops, but he's applauding himself. Millie's applauding himself. Mackenzie's applauding himself. They're all relieved. They're all relieved. Now, I want to ask you a question. Does anybody think General Marshall would be relieved? Does anybody think General Patton would be relieved? Does anybody think any of the great World War II generals would think this is a fantastic success? No, they wouldn't. They would condemn this. They would condemn it. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. You notice the media in America, for the most part, the organization of propagandists, they keep reiterating and regurgitating what the administration tells them about the number of American citizens that are behind enemy lines, 100 to 200. Now that's a big difference, but how do they know there's 100 to 200? Have they done an independent investigation or examination? Not at all. They just regurgitate what they're told. And this is also part of the problem. This is also part of the problem. Now, Raf Sanchez is an NBC foreign correspondent on NBC, MSNBC News. Cut 11, go. 
But in terms of the threat that they do pose, as Peter was just saying, there are still one to 200 Americans in Afghanistan. That could be a target for ISIS-K. If Kabul airport eventually reopens to civilian flights, we could see them attempting another attack. Now, in terms of how to assess how dangerous Afghanistan is now that it's under Taliban control, one metric is looking at, well, which terrorist groups are in the country? How much freedom do they have to operate? How many fighters do they have? But there's also the much broader inspirational question. As far as these jihadist groups are concerned, from ISIS to Al-Qaeda to Hamas, the United States has just been defeated by a group of local insurgents at the end of a 20-year war. And these terrorist groups, who don't always agree with each other, are all celebrating the Taliban's victory. They are very encouraged by what they saw on the battlefield in Afghanistan. And there is a real fear that that will embolden them going forward. Now, this is obviously a obvious statement, but not among the American media. The terrorists are all excited now. They feared Donald Trump. That's one thing Biden will never say. They feared him. He hunted down their leaders and he did everything he could to take them out. Some on TV said that was provocative. Donald Trump shouldn't do that. These are the isolists, isolationists rather, of both parties. Utterly stupid human beings. Nonetheless, That's what they said. Robert Charles was an assistant secretary of state for international narcotics and law enforcement in the Bush administration. Cut 12, go. In my history of government service and in the history of, frankly, I think the history of the country, I don't know if I've ever seen a constellation of security officials, from a national security advisor uh, to a secretary of state, secretary of defense, chairman of the joint chiefs, uh, president and vice president, who turned their back like this on Americans. And I, I just, it, it, it stumped and it, and it makes me think we need to think harder about how we, how we assure accountability here. We don't have a parliamentary system, but uh, uh, some resignations, I think, are, are in line or should well, be. Well, resignations require actions by the individuals who are guilty or incompetent. That doesn't appear to be on the horizon. But Mitch McConnell wants you to know neither does impeachment. Mitch McConnell, who who surfaces from time to time to lead his party into the desert, he says today, Biden will not be impeached over Afghanistan, hold administration accountable at the ballot box. And he's also done almost nothing to ensure that the ballot box isn't fooled within these various states. We're well aware that we can vote, and we don't need Mitch McConnell's grumbling, mumbling, you know, proclamations to that effect. We are led in this country by a bunch of very elderly individuals who've been hanging around Washington way too long. And I'm not against elderly people, but I am against them in every position of power. From the president, to the Republican leader, to the Speaker of the House, and so many more. Utterly out of touch. Utterly out of touch. All power hungry, including McConnell. Let me see if I can educate this fool. I doubt it. He's as stubborn as Pelosi. She's as stubborn as Biden. And there we are with the 
the circle, uh, well, whatever. Let me explain something to you, Mitch. You've always hated the Republican base. You were part of the Ford administration and opposed the Reagan revolution. You opposed the Tea Party revolution. You opposed the Trump revolution. You're basically the Wall Street Journal editorial page and National Review editor's favorite politician. But you're a rhino. Things are swirling around you, and you don't even have any idea what's swirling around you. You paint by the numbers. You can barely talk. You mumble. The reason why you press for impeachment is not only it's the right thing to do under our constitutional system, regardless of what the often wrong National Review and Andy McCarthy have to say about it, no constitutional expert, as far as I know. That's not a put-down, that's just a fact. But the reason you do it is to put pressure on a president to resign under our system, to try and uphold our constitutional system in the face of the attack on our constitutional system, and try and convince the American people in articles that will be drawn up by the Republican Party of what this president has done and continues to do with his presidency to destroy this nation from within. Whether it's our election system, our immigration system, our police officers, whether it's our finances, and now our national security. I don't know about you, but isn't it about time after all these years the Republicans in the Senate find somebody new? Yeah, I think so. I'll be right back. here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, America. Mark Levin here. Our number, 877 I'll be on Hannity tonight on Fox, 9.25 p.m. Eastern Time. Hannity on Fox tonight. I hope you'll watch live. If not, I hope you'll DVR it. Also, a little bit of side news. Uh, Obviously not the great news of the day, but I want to thank all of you patriots out there. American Marxism is number one on the New York Times nonfiction hardcover and nonfiction ebook combination list, uh, number one on both lists for the seventh week in a row. It's almost two months by my calculation, and that's because of you. I was involved in a over an hour interview with the great Dr. James Dobson today, and he does a fantastic podcast. I believe it's going to run in two parts on September 9th and September 10th. I don't do a lot of podcasts, ladies and gentlemen, because there's thousands of them. But I've always admired Dr. Dobson. Dr. Dobson had me on his radio show when my first book came out, Men in Black. What was that, 16 years ago? And this is the first time he and I have spoken since. And we both regretted it. 
He's a fantastic man. Who I've admired a very long time. And he wanted to interview me for two shows, and we talked for over an hour. The plan was 30 to 40 minutes, but over an hour. And he said, this book, American Marxism, is one of the most important books that has really been published in a very, very long time. And we discussed aspects of it. It was truly a fantastic interview, thanks to him, not me. And one of the things he said is that this book is flying off the shelves for a reason. And he actually read the book. He started citing sections of the book to me, and I had to grab my book and look them up. And um, he's a very thoughtful, faithful man. He says very wise things. Very wise things. And so he said, it's important that we get this book into the hands of more people. And I said, I'm doing my best. I'm doing everything I can. And I want to thank those of you, 900,000, maybe not 900,000 people bought multiple copies, but 900,000 hardcover, ebook, audio of the book have been acquired in one way or another. And um, I, 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 it's not that I am blessed. It's that I'm thankful that so many of you share the same concerns and worry about the future of this country and are willing to, to learn as much as you can and do as much as you're able to save her. Because it's going to get worse before it gets better. You see how McConnell responds mechanically. Well, we just have to get out and vote. He has, creates no inspiration. He's not out to rally the, the public. He hates his own base. They bring in these Bush guys like Rove and others. That's not going to cut it. That's not going to cut it. And if they're not up for the fight, and this is a fight now, not a violent fight, not on our part, but a fight, you understand. Uh, then we have a problem. We have a lot of elders in Washington, D.C. They call them elder statesmen. They're not statesmen. They're elders who are not statesmen. They're all over Congress. They're all over the executive branch. They're all over the courts. All we ask them to do is to push back. They don't have to go to war. They don't have to risk their lives. They need to push back. And so it was a, uh, a fantastic interview by Dr. Dobson. The longest interview I've done. Probably the last or one of the last I will do. And 
I don't know how much longer this will be number one on the New York Times bestseller list. Because as a practical matter, you know, the sales begin to to slow down as other books begin to pick up. But there's no complaints here. I just want to get the word out as much as humanly possible. I've told you from day one. I'm hoping this is sort of a more modern form of a pamphlet from the pamphleteers like Thomas Paine. And he wasn't the only one. When I wrote my book on freedom of the press, I explained the pamphleteers. These were the men, the patriots, who stirred as much as the colonies as possible to their own defense, to their own liberty. And that's what I've tried to do with this book. He asked me, why do you think this book has done so well? And I told him, that's why. People are looking for answers. They're looking for they're looking for understanding, and they're looking for ways to fight back. American Marxism is a very unusual book. It's a very unusual book. It's a book that lays out the scholarship. It's a book that calls out specific names and organizations. And it's a book that pushes for activism. There was one person, I don't remember her name, it's not worth remembering, this site, Business Insiders, very left-wing kook site. And you can tell they don't read the book. They just attack. We're right-wingers, we're extremists, we don't know what we're talking about. And of course the book, purposely, quotes all their heroes, and others who they're probably not even familiar with until they look at my book. But they haven't read it. Or they've read a page or a chapter or something of that sort. I'm not even going to mention her name. She's a fool. But I don't worry about that. We roll over these, these mental midgets who just sit at the sidelines and Apparently she's an author who doesn't sell many. It's the other thing. These people who, who think they're so smart, they write these books and nobody reads them. Nobody cares. Nobody cares if, in fact, they do write them and research them. I don't even know that. But I want to thank those of you who've decided to jump in and read it or listen to it on the audio. I want to thank you. That is the first step. That is the first step. And when I wrote on Freedom of the Press, I learned a lot about these pamphleteers, these early pamphleteers, these early newspapers, how important they were. And it's very, very important, the written word. The written word is something you can carry with you. It's something your kids can carry to college or high school. It's something you can pull off your shelf or off your desk or off your kitchen table and say, wait a minute, let me look that up. It's something you can discuss around the table or with your neighbors when you're walking your dogs or whatever your circumstances. The written word is very, very important. And it enables me to get around big tech 
And I want to also thank those outlets, those platforms that have invited me on to speak about the book and to discuss it. There have been some, unfortunately, who've chosen, for reasons that are really inexplicable, who claim to support the same thing, to pretend the book doesn't exist. You know who they are. You can watch them. You can listen to them. And yet there have been scores who have been quite supportive. For me, this isn't about who's better than whom. I mean, I could read the list week after week, this New York Times list, and you'd see who comes in number two and number three and number four and so forth. I'm not going to do that. Because it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. What matters to me is you, this audience, spreading the word. There's millions of you. And if you're engaged, it's almost like whisper down the lane. Then perhaps millions more will be engaged too. I've tried to make the book as accessible as possible. We did the audio, it's on ebook, it's hardcover. I've tried to make it as affordable as possible. The retail price is 28 bucks, but all these outlets discount it. The lowest I've seen is $16.80. I've seen it at Costco. I've seen it at Amazon. I've even seen it at uh, Barnes & Noble. And we have great outlets, Walmart and so forth. So we've made it as affordable as possible, as accessible as possible, as readable as possible. It's not an easy read, but it's readable. And I think that's about the best I can do. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. It looks like, hold on, let me, uh, let me double check here so I don't make any mistakes. Hold on one second, ladies and gentlemen. Let's see. Give me a second. Okay. President Trump just endorsed uh, Sean Parnell in the Republican primary for the United States Senate in Pennsylvania, which is a big deal, and I really thank him for doing that because Parnell is a, uh, is a great patriot. Uh, and that is breaking news. That just occurred. So President uh, Trump has endorsed, has endorsed Sean Parnell for the Republican nomination for the United States Senate from Pennsylvania. He's exactly the kind of senator that would serve the interests of the people in Pennsylvania better than anybody I know. And I'm a Pennsylvanian. This administration wants you to forget about this. I refuse to forget about this. I will never forget about this. Think of your own family members. There's a retired Army vet on KCVU-TV yesterday... Not exactly sure where that is, but it doesn't much matter. I want you to listen to this. Cut 14, go. 
Feelings of desperation in Peyton, this retired Army veteran says, are part of the battle he's now fighting, knowing hundreds were left behind in Kabul. We're protecting his identity because his wife is one of the hundreds still trying to evacuate and escape the Taliban he helped fight. What was it like for her trying to get to the airport? It was a nightmare. His wife wasn't able to make it on a plane. President Biden says Operation Allied Rescue evacuated more than 5,500 Americans, but the veteran says many were left behind. I want the government to know that a lot of Afghans, that they are Afghan-Americans, they are Afghans with the green card or visas or SIVs, they're also left behind, plus our own Americans. And most of the people, if the president says, like, they choose to stay, no, nobody will choose to stay, actually, in that kind of situation. Because every single minute you're waiting for death, and you cannot trust Taliban. This, this man is so sensible under, under this kind of duress. And it's, it's, we've kind of touched on this too. Who the hell, who the hell would, would not choose to leave under these circumstances? Who the hell would that be? I don't, I mean, can you, can you conceive of anybody? No, I can't see. Uh, I can't conceive of anybody. There's going to be case after case after case of this. And they've already dehumanized these people. They've already declared victory. They're waiting for a ticker tape parade with the confetti coming down. You know, I'm, I'm a man of words and I'm out of words. And I don't, I don't know what else to say. We have exclusive secret texts from Just the News, John Solomon's outstanding site. It really is. Text messages and emails that were provided to Just the News by Michael Yan, a former Special Forces soldier and war correspondent. He's terrific. We are effing abandoning American citizens, exclamation. An army colonel assigned to the 82nd Airborne Division wrote Sunday in frustration in a series of encrypted messages that detailed the failed effort to extricate a group of American citizens hours before the last soldiers departed Afghanistan. We are effing abandoning American citizens. People were turned away from the gate by our own army, reports Jan. I want to get into this a little bit more when we return. Conservative and proud of it. Call the Mark Levin Show at 877-381-3811. There's endless examples of people being left behind, American citizens, dual citizens, SIV visa holders, green card holders, that is people who are really one step away from becoming American citizens. All these people, all these people who poured in Afghanistan or were recruited by our military and our CIA to assist us, who are stuck. And it is a grotesque display from these egomaniacal individuals at the highest levels of the Biden administration, starting with him. 
It's a grotesque display of hubris, almost insanity, when they congratulate themselves and they say, this was done about as well as it could have been done, when everybody knows that's a lie. Let me take a few calls, if I may. Let's go to Kamal, Monroe, North Carolina, the great WBT. Uh, Kamal, how are you, sir? Uh, good evening, sir. How are you doing today? I'm okay. Thank you, sir. Uh, first of all, I just want to make two really quick points. Um, first of all, I want to say it's an honor to speak to you. You are truly my hero. I want to commend you and thank you for everything you've been out here doing. I've been listening to you for about five, six years straight now, and you have really made an impact on my life and in my family's life. Wow. Okay, I, I just want to put that out there. You People don't give you enough credit. I'm being honest. Okay? You don't. You don't have to do anything that you're doing here. You don't, okay? But you do, and you have truly changed my life, okay? Thank my name you, is Kamal. Kamal. I am a Sunni Muslim, okay? I am an African-American. I am a conservative who loves and supports Donald Trump. I am also a veteran of two separate branches of the United States Armed Forces. Mm. So basically, according to the media, I'm a person who doesn't exist, okay? And I just want to say, like, like I, I can't thank you enough for what you've done for me, my children. I have a son and a daughter who will be graduating high school this year. One's going into the Marines, one's going into the Air Force. Wow. I listen to you every night, every night. And it's because of you, and I'm serious, sir, it's because of you that my children have not been indoctrinated with this crazy CRT and, and, and all this just ridiculous BS that's been going on in the schools. My children have actually developed an argument you know, because of the things that they have heard you say. And we, and we have a great time listening to you. We, we be cracking up sometimes, seriously, <laughs> when you get on these liberals. Because, I mean, it's, it's common sense. You know, some of these people, I mean, it's, like, ridiculous in the way you put it. I mean, it's like, like I said, we be in the car cracking up half the time when I'm picking them up from band practice and stuff like that. But um, uh, enough of that. I, I just wanted to let the listeners out there know, everybody, they need to call in and you need to thank this man. Okay, no, but I listen. Doing a whole lot, he's putting himself at risk. No, sir, seriously, you put yourself at danger for everyone. And we we sit back, we enjoy you, and, and we get all hyped up, and we want to, you know, you motivate us. But we we don't thank you enough. We don't. You have a well, family too. Okay, you, you know what? I I want to thank you. You're very very kind. I'm sure the people out there, many of them, are rolling their eyes. But Kamal, you made my day. You made my week. And uh, I want to thank you for your service. Your kids are going to be in the various services. You really are a great patriot, and I cannot thank you enough. Please don't hang up. I want to send you a signed copy of American Marxism, and please feel free to call again, okay? I, I, I definitely will. But once again, everybody, thank this man. Mark Levin changed <laughs> my life. I'm an American patriot, and so is he. Please call in and thank him. God bless you, and thank you, Kamal. And you don't need to call in and thank me. What a nice man, though. Sometimes my wife says to me, she says, do you know how many people you affect? I said, well, I affect them, some people well and some people not so well. She says, no, no. I said, my, head doesn't, my mind doesn't work that way. I really don't think that way. I'm on a mission. Let me tell you how I look at things. I don't want to be on my deathbed in the last 30 seconds and say, you know what, Mark? What the hell did you compromise on that? fundamental principle for life is too short or you know mark 
Why didn't you push a little bit harder on this issue? You know, Mark, you only had a limited time here and you didn't do enough. I don't want those things to cross my mind when my time comes, should it come in the way that I just described. That's the truth. Let's go to Chris in Phoenix, XM Satellite, retired, New York Fire Department, NYFD. How are you? Mark, I'm well. How are you doing today? I'm doing well, my friend. Thank you. Yeah, me too. I want to say thank you, and I also want to echo what Kamal said. Um, You're a good person, and I want to take it a step further with him and just say, uh, to me, you're a little bit like Paul Revere. You know, you're warning the people of what's coming. Um, It's up to those who want to listen. Um, It's up to those who want to listen and learn that that will do so. But but the reason I call you um, is, is to talk about a comparison between Benghazi and um, what's going on now, and who was involved in Biden. But I want to I wanna preempt that or precursor that with saying these people that come up on, on the podiums and they forget their service. I don't know what General Milley's service was or Admiral Austin's service was like. I don't know. What I do know is that because you've been made a spokesperson your service to this country should not stop. I know on September 11th, um, a lot of people gave their lives voluntarily. And a lot of people that didn't have to be there were there. And a lot of chiefs who didn't say, I'm a chief, I'm going to take the background here, and I'll wait for the cameras to come up and make a, make a comment in the aftermath. But the important thing that I want to say is, Just imagine if a chief came out and said, or a spokesperson, or Mayor Giuliani, if he came out and said, well, you know what? We got everybody out that we could. Well, you only went to the third floor, maybe, and you left everybody else in the building. To guys like me and guys in the military and guys that were ordered to leave, I think it's kind of the same thing. No, we're here to do a job. We signed up. We took an oath. Where's the oath that these guys took? They took an oath for the country to protect and serve the people. Does their oath not apply anymore because they're not wearing a uniform and now they're wearing a suit or because they're an elected politician? Or does an elected politician's oath never mean anything? Because they're elected politicians and they make the rules. But how do you have these spokespersons like Saki? And the admiral, and at this moment, I forget his name, that come out here and blatantly lie to the American people. How do they live with themselves? How do they sleep know. at night? First of all, what you've said is, uh, is so on point. And your analogy is really quite amazing. About the New York Fire Department, about the NYPD, about others. You're exactly right. They didn't say go to the top, don't go to the top floor, don't do this, don't do that. They said get those people the hell out of there. And um, it's not that we want people to be on a suicide mission or anything of that sort. Of course not. If we had known those buildings would fall the way they did and so forth, maybe there would have been a different way. I don't know. 
But you're right, the mindset, and I certainly don't blame the troops. The top brass, is your point, Biden, the political decision makers, making the job almost impossible for the, uh, for the troops, the generals going along with it, and, um, and leaving people behind, knowing they're going to be brutalized like this? this. This is what I can't get over. This is what I can't get over. And the other thing I can't get over is that there's so many people who just don't give a crap. It, it really is hard to stomach. It's very, very hard to stomach. Chris, I want to thank you for everything you've done as a firefighter with the New York Fire Department. What a fantastic bunch of people. And uh, don't hang up, my friend. I want to make sure you get a signed copy of American Marxism. I feel it's a very significant point that Chris has made. Very significant. And uh, we'll be right back. Go back to the calls, I think. People want to talk about this, and I don't blame them. I'll be on Hannity tonight at uh, 9.25 p.m. Eastern Time. And uh, let us, let's see. All right, let's go to Dan, Rockport, Illinois, on the Mark Levin app. Dan, how are you, my friend? Great, Mark. How are you? All right, thank you. Not just that. Not just an echo of the previous two callers, Uh-oh. but you honestly served this country way more than you give yourself credit well, for, for what you do. Because well, you put out so much information that is not that wouldn't be put out because of this media that we are supposed to believe in. But anyway, quick I want to thank you, all, all my great audience members. Thank you, sir. Go right ahead. Yes, I was on the aircraft carrier group that was at uh, General Quarters when they went in for the rescue attempt and the 52 hostages, okay? Wow. Um, I was watching TV when those two towers went down with my one-month-old son. Uh-huh. Right after the wife left for work, right after they went down, I called the Marines. I wanted to re-enlist, go right into the Marines when she was at work. Oh, Unfortunately, geez. with your age at, at the time, with your age plus your years of service, you could go in until you're 40. I would have mm. made it by two weeks. But unfortunately, when I was out, I couldn't get back in. They talk about this being the greatest airlift in American history and blah, blah, blah. Well, this is the greatest American citizen abandonment in U.S. history. That's what this is as well. That's a great point. Because not only is it the ones that are there, and I can't imagine the fear those people are living in. It's the fear that their families that are here on this soil that are living with as well, sweating this out day by day. It's just a tragedy what this what this administration is doing. It's it's how they how he could tear his country up. And when he was vice president, and his president said that my president too said that they were going to transform America. Boy, has he just put the pedal to the metal since he's been in office. Very very well said. And uh, I want to thank you for your service, sir. And don't hang up. We want to give you a signed copy of American Marxism. But he's right. It's the greatest betrayal of American citizens in American history. It's the greatest betrayal of American allies in American history. It's the greatest 
betrayal of a people who are now left to genocidal forces in American history. And only in Washington, D.C., only in the swamp, do they celebrate this as a huge success. It's contemptible. It's contemptible. Now they're going to turn towards something they love to do. Destroy the country from within. Centralize, nationalize, spend trillions that they don't have, burdening your kids and grandkids for the rest of time, generations yet born, who will never be able to pay off our debt because these bastards are so selfish, spending money that's yet been produced, wealth that does not yet exist, so they can have freebies. Because they want free family leave, because they want free school, because they want big checks for not working. Because they want to attack successful people and give the hard work, the results of the hard work of successful people to people who are on the dole. That's what the Democrat Party relies on, dumbing down the population, acquiescence, slovenly behavior. Merit out the door, success out the door, hard work out the door. Those are three ideas they never discuss in the Democrat Party. And those of you who are Democrats who do those things, why are you a Democrat? I'll be right back. He's here. He's here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post... Deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, America. Mark Levin here. Our numbers, 877-381-3811. You know... The Democrat Party and Biden, they want to take credit for the evacuation of 124,000 people. First of all, they didn't evacuate anybody. They deserve credit for nothing. Our troops did it. But they want you to know what a magnificent humanitarian accomplishment this was. Tell me something. When you unleash genocide in Afghanistan, how many people of color are going to die? How many people of color are going to die? How many are going to be slaughtered? I talk about numbers. Think about numbers. At least 80,000 have targets on their back. God knows how many American citizens. If this wasn't a disaster, what is a disaster? If this wasn't a disaster, what is a disaster? I'm quite serious about this. The American Academy of Neurology, did you know that this is a white supremacist stronghold, Mr. Producer? The American Academy of Neurology? Oh, yes. It's a white supremacist 
hotbed. Because Mary Post, with the American Academy of Neurology, has issued a video. And apparently, the American Academy of Neurology, did I mention it's the American Academy of Neurology? Uh, They're mandating anti-racism education for all the staff. Because apparently they've been hiring Klansmen and neo-Nazis at the American Academy of Neurology. Remember the United States military? Very concerned about white racism. Very, very concerned about white supremacy. Men and women of the of the United States military, now they, they can't talk about them enough. What a difference 13 murdered servicemen make. Murdered servicemen with all backgrounds. Two of them women. Do you think those people were part of a white supremacist dominated culture? When they put their lives on the line... For non-white Muslims? Hmm? And American citizens? Some of them are dual citizens, Biden tells us. Here's Mary Post with the American Academy of Neurology. Cut 17, go. At the AAN, we believe embracing and leveraging our organizational values of inclusion, diversity, equity, anti-racism, and social justice, also known as IDEAS. This is critical to our success, and it's an ongoing focus in our pursuit to be indispensable to our members. In 2021, all committee chairs, committee members, and our staff will receive anti-racism education. And this is just one example of many commitments that we're putting in place for sustained change. We are resolved to pursue bold action beyond rhetoric and to stand with the communities that we serve to eliminate inequities that are antithetical to our values and the pursuit of our vision and mission. And what are those inequities that you're going to eliminate that are antithetical to your values and the pursuit of your vision and mission? What are the inequities that you're going to eliminate, you dope? And what's the bold action beyond rhetoric? What's that? What is it? The poison spreads. It's not enough to be a colorblind society. It's not enough to be a free people. All of us. And to pursue your interests. No, we need training on racism and segregation. That's what it is. That's what it is. And you know what's interesting? There are obviously some obvious exceptions. But these are white relatively wealthy people who keep talking about training their members, training people on anti-racism, equity, diversity, inclusion, social justice. And then they go home to their million-dollar home in the suburbs or wherever it is. Maybe they, they live in a gentrified part of a major city and something. And, uh, and it's not just these, these, these white wealthy people. They're black wealthy people, like LeBron James and others. They don't live in these communities that they're so concerned about. I have a serious question to ask you. How many 
professional athletes who make millions and millions and millions of dollars a year, how many of them live in Newark who are members of, of teams in New York City or around New York? How many of them live in Newark? It's not far from, from New York City. Is it, Mr. Producer? Do you know of any? Rich, I don't know of any. Well, why don't they? What's the problem? What's the problem? How about LeBron James? He's from Cleveland. Maybe even has a home in Cleveland. What part of Cleveland? Where in Cleveland? Where do his kids go to school? What happened to equity? He's a billionaire. He's made money on you know, the old-fashioned way, as well as off the backs of, as well as off the backs of the Uyghurs who are being slaughtered. What about them? No, 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 no. You don't understand. So, they're going to train people. You see, now they're going to feel better. Look, we trained people. You should see, we've changed the wording, what words you can and cannot use. I mean, we're going to take bold action around here at the Academy of, of uh, Neurology. It should be the Academy of Narcissism. But what do I know? And she read that the way uh, Secretary of State Blinken read his uh, video, on his video. Obviously with a lot of passion. None. And so... Th- The Academy, the American Academy of Neurology, where there's obviously deep-rooted racism, sexism, all kinds of isms, uh, is obviously a hotbed of white supremacy and white domination because they need to train their people in what's known as ideas. Apparently there has not... You know what? This is a perfect lawsuit. If you've been working at the American Academy of Neurology, you have a perfect lawsuit because only now are they getting around to inclusion, diversity, equity, anti-racism, social justice, also known as ideas. Only now are they getting around to treat other people as human beings. Isn't that what you get out of this, Rich? So bring your lawsuits because you just had a confession. Now, I don't say to Mr. Producer, Mr. Call Screener, Uh, I am going to take bold action, and I'm going to teach you about inclusion, diversity, equity, anti-racism, social justice, and so forth. You want to know why? These are good guys. They're not racists. They believe in inclusion. But they also believe in liberty and hard work and all those other things that make this society function. They're not parasites like the seminar and training events. People making millions of dollars as parasites and so forth. Anyway, this is just another institution destroyed. And I know a lot of very good neurologists. Got a buddy named Drew. There's there's a lot of very, very good neurologists. And last time I checked, Drew doesn't wear white... Actually, they do wear white robes, Mr. Producer. Don't all doctors wear white robes? Maybe there's something to this. I just missed it all these decades. The doctors wearing white robes. 
You know, when they go into medical school, right away they have, it's a, it's a white jacket event. They're handing out white jackets. Well, according to Mary Post, I guess, they might as well hand out white hoods, too. I'll be right back. Lovin. You know, it's interesting. Unfortunately, you can't folks sit here with me, but I look at the call screen. And it really is America. We have a caller from Boston, Massachusetts, Wilmer, Minnesota, Fort Collins, Colorado, Billings, Montana, Camp Lejeune, North Carolina. All over the country. This is the most fantastic platform that exists. Talk radio. The most fantastic. Grant, Camp Lejeune, North Carolina, XM Satellite. How are you, sir? I'm good, Mark. How are you? Thanks for taking my call. Very well. Thank you. Yeah, I was just uh, curious. You know, I served in the Marine Corps. I'm obviously outside of the base, Camp Lejeune. And um, during my time, I had the privilege to drive generals around. So I kind of got some insider, you know, fly-on-the-wall type of stories and stuff. And one general I was able to – had the privilege to drive around in Norway was General Sturdivant who was a commander of Camp Bastion. I don't know if you remember the attack on Camp Bastion in 2012. I think Prince Harry was stationed there. Oh, right. Two Marines were killed in that two Marines were killed in that attack. Instantly, both commanders were relieved of their duty and forced to retire. So I'm just curious with this Kabul airport attack where 13 service members are killed in a humanitarian effort. Why who is who's be, who's resigning? Why isn't CENTCOM commander resigning why aren't people falling the only thing i'm seeing from in you know being at camp lejeune are these lower officers who are posting videos speaking out against the top brass in washington they're the ones who are getting relieved of their duties who are speaking out against the atrocity that happened in kabul afghanistan uh in the airport suicide bombing so i'm just curious why aren't people resigning top brass in washington because they're doing what biden wants them to do and if the commander-in-chief doesn't want them out and if the secretary of defense and the head of the joint chiefs are really the people who are perpetrating these things um nobody below them is going to resign that's the problem we have and then we had people like mitch mcconnell saying they don't even want to approach impeachment just vote and, of course, we know there's certain uh, systemic, may I use the word, weaknesses in our voting systems now. Uh, you have people at National Review popping off who don't know very much about this subject, doing exactly the same thing. So you don't have people who really want to hold people accountable or who are incapable of holding people accountable. They have no idea what's swirling around this country. They have no idea what is confronting this country. And so... Uh, they play by, by impossible rules uh, when we are confronted with this, uh, with this very dangerous force. So that's the problem. And by the way, I want to thank you for your service, and I want to send you a copy signed of American Marxism. Thank you, Grant. Much appreciated. Stanley Billings, Montana, KBUL. Stanley, how are you, sir? I'm good. How are you doing, Mark? All right. 
Hey, I got a couple things to get off my chest. Number one, I want to thank the families of our 13 fallen. Mm. Those men were incredible. 12 Marines, one Devil Doc. No, you're right. Hey, that's what we call our corpsman, Devil Doc. Mm-hmm. Yep. First question. How to reclaim our honor and world standing with a Biden or Harris in charge? It's going to be Number- tough until we kick these fools out. Um, it's going to be very, very tough. And when we have fools like McConnell and others who really don't even want to fight to push for impeachment. I know the numbers as well as anybody else, but you've got to make the case that this president has uh, has betrayed the American people, and you've got to do it over a course of time. Uh, but they don't have the uh, willpower, they don't have the competence, they don't have the intelligence to do it. And the Republicans in the Senate keep electing this fool as their leader. I mean, I think he's been the leader for 15, 16 years, um, and he plays defense. That's basically all he does. He plays defense. What's your next point, Stanley? Number two, how do we get our stuff back from Afghanistan. We're not getting our stuff back. We can't even get our citizens back. But you don't understand, Stanley, this has been an an incredibly successful evacuation. Except for leaving our citizens, except for leaving our allies, except for leaving people who uh, are going to be slaughtered by the thousands, except for leaving $85 billion worth of of, uh, equipment. Uh, This has been spectacular. All right, my friend, thank you for your call. Don't hang up, Stanley. We're going to send you a signed copy of American Marxism. Thank you, Stanley. Let us go to Michael, Wilmer, Minnesota, the great KDIZ. Michael, how are you? I'm well, sir. How are you this evening? All right, thank you. I'm very concerned for, uh, very concerned for the future of our country, though. A little bit ago, you were talking about suppression of free speech. At the beginning of the show, you were talking about genocide. Last night, I heard you talking about um, propaganda, and all reminded me of a video I was watching Monday evening from the Robert H. Jackson Center on the Nuremberg trials, where they were interrogating Hermann Goering from Germany. They talked about how they intentionally suppressed opposing viewpoints. They intentionally eliminated opposing political parties, and they intentionally isolated people that spoke out against what they were trying to do. And I don't say that to flippantly make some analogy about the U.S. And the Marxists, by the way, do exactly the same thing. These are totalitarians. Exactly. And they're all aided by, sadly to say, corporatists who help do their bidding. And other citizens who help do their bidding. We're not on that same... What's that? We're not on that same level yet. It, we're not on that same level yet. No, that's right. That's right, but, but these institutions are crumbling. Uh, you know, free speech, uh, this, this, uh, this putrid individual who was writing this piece at the Business Insider, very upset with my book. I mean, as, uh, as, uh, as uh, Richie, Mr. Call Screener, in his podcast has explained, and as, as, you, as I should point out, I mean, she's written books anti-free speech. Does the Democrat Party seem like they're pro-free speech? Do their surrogates seem like they're pro-free speech? How about the media? Are they pro-free speech? The uh, universities and colleges, pro-free speech? Speech is, uh, speech is becoming a, uh, a victim. 
of all this. And you're exactly right, Michael. I want to send you, too, a copy of American Marxism signed. We're going through a lot of calls today because I wanted to give people an opportunity to express themselves. I suspect we're running out of books, too. Anyway, I'll be right back. Levin, a champion of freedom. You know, you're one of the greatest champions of freedom in this country, if not in the English-speaking world, Mark. Call Mark at 877-381-3811. 9.25 Eastern Time tonight, less than an hour. I'll be on Hannity on the Fox News Channel. I hope you'll join me. I want to talk about briefly what Pelosi is having this commission she set up with all Democrats and two never-Trumpers. On January 6th, how they're subpoenaing uh, members of Congress. How they're subpoenaing the former president of the United States. And Jonathan Turley has this right. In the Hill newspaper, he says, uh, he, he quotes this chairman, Benny Thompson from Mississippi, a, a Democrat. And he says, we have quite an exhaustive list of people. I won't tell you who they are. With those words... Thompson confirmed that a subpoena storm was about to be unleashed in the investigation of the January 6th riot in Congress, he writes. The targets would include Republican members, including House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy, Representative Jim Jordan, who have already been told to preserve their phone records to be surrendered to the committee. The Democrats are reportedly trying to prove their prior claims that Republicans conspired or assisted insurrectionists, quote-unquote, even though the FBI reportedly found no evidence of a planned insurrection. But these are the dead-enders. While all this is going on in the country, while all this is going on in Afghanistan, this is what the Democrats are doing, because they're good at this. They're good at Stalinist, old Soviet tactics. That's what they are. That's who they are. The Democrat moved to investigate members of the opposing party, is a dangerous precedent in an institution that always protected the privacy and confidentiality of phone and office records. Here's the problem. They're dealing with a guy like Mitch McConnell. And I know Kevin McCarthy will push back on this stuff. But McConnell is a clown. Two months ago, House Intelligence Committee Chair Adam Schiff was on practically every network denouncing one of the most dangerous assaults on our democracy, he said, meaning the Trump administration's search of phone log information related to Schiff and Representative Eric Swalwell. While looking for leakers, for his part, Swalwell publicly fretted about his fragile, this a fragile time for democracy if members could have their phone logs seized through secret surveillance orders issued to telephone companies. Now after those disclosures, Turley says he testified in Congress on the need for greater protections from secret surveillance from members and reporters alike. At the hearing, the Democrat members expressed nothing short of disgust at the notion of such seizures of members' phone logs. But Thompson has now admitted that he has sent letters to telecommunication companies to preserve records, including phone logs, for hundreds of people, including members of Congress. He would offer only a type of the usual suspect's response when asked for specificity. You know, in terms of telecompanies... They're the ones that pretty much you already know, maybe the networks, the social media platform, those kinds of things, he says. And reports indicate that among the hundreds, quote-unquote, will be Trump family members and leading Republicans. 
The House has decided to subpoena them all and let God and the court sort them out. And this isn't the first such subpoena tsunami in the House. A couple years ago, Schiff unleashed a massive secret surveillance order to companies. Schiff expressly barred the companies from informing targets. Another abusive tactic that was the subject of the June House hearing. That practice was denounced by many as negating Section 222 of the Federal Communication Act, which allows for targets to challenge such orders. As with the shift subpoenas, Thompson is not only refusing to list names of the targets, he's also asked the companies to keep the subpoenas secret. So in other words, people who are being politically targeted can't fight back because they don't even know they're being politically targeted. It's not clear that Congress uh, has such enforcement authority for secret subpoena. What's more, the Democratic House Judiciary Chairman denounced such secrecy demands just last month, saying... They deny American citizens, companies, and institutions their basic day in court. Instead, they gather their evidence entirely in secret. The task at hand in this subpoena storm is highly questionable. The announcement follows an extensive investigation by the FBI and DOJ, which reportedly did not find any planned insurrection on January 6th. The vast majority of the tens of thousands of protesters were not charged. Of the roughly 570 people arrested, virtually all face relatively minor charges for trespass or parading. Only 40 face conspiracy charges. As with violent protesters in places like Portland and Seattle, a small percentage of January 6th protesters came prepared and eager for violence and property destruction, he says. By the way, as a side note, the Associated Press did a big investigation. And this idea that only the people on January 6th are being targeted, 570. They found about 170 cases of people actually being prosecuted, some thrown in jail from the riots of the summer. Oh, let me think this through. 170 cases, there were multiple riots, massive property damage, people killed. And I'm, talking, I'm not talking about people who had a heart attack or the next day they had a stroke or anything. No, people killed. And the AP found that akin to what's going on here. Because the AP supports what took place in the summer. The FBI has already seized the phone records for those arrested, including the small number facing more serious charges. Nevertheless, according to media reports, they found that 90 to 95% of these are one-off cases. There was no grand scheme with Roger Stone and Alex Jones and all these people to storm the Capitol and take hostages. And despite federal investigations, neither the FBI nor Congress found any evidence to support the much-publicized claims of Democratic members that Republican colleagues helped plan or supplied access or reconnaissance, quote-unquote, in the form of tours to insurrectionists, quote-unquote. This is not what Schiff previously denounced as the politicization of the Justice Department, of course. Congress is by definition politicized, which is why such fishing expeditions expeditions targeting the opposing party are so dangerous. And he goes on, but they're not dangerous when you're dealing with a feckless Republican Party that doesn't fight back. They kept throwing around impeachment on Trump, on Barr, on Kavanaugh, on others. (coughs) Excuse me. And here we have a president of the United States who has defied a Supreme Court ruling, has defied federal immigration law, uh, who took actions and lied to the American people, actions of life and death. 
And Mitch McConnell said, why not discuss the peace? We want to get rid of him, vote him by the law, protect him, What a dumbass. I'm sorry, ladies and gentlemen. I hope that is headlined everywhere. America deserves better than Mitch McConnell. It really does. He's, he is so awful. And he's been awful for decades. The pretty boy of the Wall Street Journal editorial page in National Review. Awful. And so there you are. We have a Democrat party that impeaches a president twice. We have a Democrat party that pushes for a coup against the same president. That urges a criminal investigation of the same president. They found nothing ever. A Democrat party that's still going after the tax returns of the former president. A Democrat party that, that conducted one secret deposition after another of Trump family members, Trump associates, staffers, business um, staff and so forth. Nothing. Joe Biden hasn't been investigated by anyone for anything. Nothing. Despite real emails and laptop computers, despite black and white words that talk about him getting 10% of a deal, despite his selling out to Russia for reasons that people do not even understand, The Democrat Party is corrupt and evil. Hello! Evil. Through and through. And they have diabolical, power-hungry, narcissistic politicians like Pelosi, like Schiff, like Swalwell. Here's a guy who slept with a communist Chinese spy. And he sits on the House Intelligence Committee. Here is a guy, Adam Schiff, who doesn't believe in due process for anyone but criminals and Democrats and terrorists. But certainly not Republicans. I think he's chair of the House Judiciary Committee these days. This is sickening. This is a party. You want to talk about insurrection? The Democrat Party has always been a party of insurrection. From the Civil War and slavery to segregation to today. Insurrection. As it continues to threaten the courts. As it continues to to try undo our constitutional separation of powers. They do insurrection by regulation, insurrection by legislation, insurrection by illegal immigration, insurrection by centralization and nationalization, but oh but it's okay because it all has the patina of you know going through the process. They don't go through the process, they steamroll the process. I want to make a suggestion to those individuals whose due process rights are being violated by a political body and a rogue committee. You sue these members of Congress for acting ultra-virus, that is, without authority and outside their scope of power. And you sue these telecommunication companies 
for violating your privacy rights and look for other civil reasons to do exactly the same thing. For giving up your information. No, no, we own the phone numbers. No, no, no. For giving up your information. Get the most vicious, brutal litigators you can find, work together, and attack. And attack. And I want to remind you, the American people, you understand the Freedom of Information Act does not apply to members of Congress. But maybe it should. If they're going to subpoena, the Democrats are going to subpoena the Republicans. All of these traditions, all this comedy, C-O-M-I-T-Y, all these processes have been violated under the Speaker of the House. I understand she speaks fluent German. I don't know that for a fact. And unless and until the Republicans use these tools against the Democrat Party, the Democrats will continue to do this and more. They need to learn how to fight back. And one of the ways is to get rid of Mitch McConnell. And I understand how difficult that is because Mitch McConnell interferes in Republican primaries around the country for the purpose of not electing the best candidate, but electing the most solid lapdogs he possibly can to keep him in power. And in power for what? He's a disaster. I'll be right back. Mark There is somebody named Caleb Ikarma. You can Google his name. You can see what a lightweight this fool is. He writes for Vanity Fair. He's bounced around from conservative to left wing. And so, hi, Mark. I'm a reporter for Vanity Fair magazine, writing a story about the recent passing of several talk show hosts due to COVID-19 and the impact the pandemic has had on the industry as a whole. Isn't this weird? In your comments from late July, you explained that you had received the vaccine as soon as possible. I'm glad you did. But then went on to say, what's the point of being vaccinated, given that you can still catch the Delta variant? It was a point I was making about the advice that we were getting from the TV doctors and the government bureaucrats, who didn't make any sense when it came to the Delta variant. But this guy's too stupid to understand. Have your views on vaccine shifted or evolved at all since you were vaccinated? No, I support it. Do you think Americans who can safely get vaccinated should get vaccinated if possible? Yes, I do. What pandemic-related safety measures are in place in your home studio? Have there been any changes made to your workplace, safety protocols, and the recent spike in deaths? What the hell are you talking about, clown? What about at Vanity Fair? Additionally, I'm interested in hearing your thoughts on the passing of talk radio hosts Phil Valentine and Dick Farrell, who had initially criticized the vaccine but ultimately changed their minds and began advocating for others to get vaccinated during their final weeks. Feel free to get back to me, my email or phone number. Thanks, Caleb Karma. My response was, you're a sick bastard, and you can quote me. Caleb, you're a sick bastard, and you can quote me. I didn't know I said anything controversial about vaccines, Mr. Producer. And what do I think about the two gentlemen who passed away? I've talked about Phil Valentine at some length. I think it's terrible. 
that he passed away. I felt horrible for him. Maybe you should show a little bit of compassion, Caleb, as you bounce around schizophrenically from one ideology to the other, being the little low life that you are. This is really what you want to write about under the circumstance of what's going on in this country? Unbelievable. Sick bastard. I'll see you on Hannity, 9.25 p.m. Eastern Time. Please, if you get a chance, hop on to Amazon.com, get your copy of American Marxism, share it with others. Oh, and did I say, what is his name, Caleb? Stupid bastard.